Good morning, everybody. Welcome to This Week in XR, which is typically hosted by myself, Ted Chilowitz, the futurist at Viacom CBS, and my good friend, Charlie Fink, who's a columnist for Ford and a pundit and guru in the mixed reality, virtual reality, extended reality world. Uh, this week, because Charlie is taking a well-needed vacation week uh, for the summertime with his family, uh, we have a different uh, co-host or, or sort of group hosts together, uh, a good friend of mine, Jason McDowell, who is also a, uh, a, a visionary, luminary, and uh, very much focused on the XR community and the XR dynamics. So he and I are going to uh, take over for Charlie and I and uh, do our uh, uh, podcast. We'll report on the week of news that Charlie uh, puts up on his column, and we'll discuss all that. And then uh, Jason is also going to be our guest today and talk about the company he works for called Ostendo which I am an advisor to. So we are both very well connected to that uh, technology and world. And that's how we're gonna spend our half hour today. So welcome, Jason. If you wanna give people two minutes on your background and then we'll dive into the news. Yeah, thanks, Ted. It's really a pleasure to be here. I do not believe I can fill Charlie's shoes even in the slightest way. There are two but... of us who can't fill Charlie's shoes. <laughs> I think that's best. absolutely the case. So, you know, some folks might recognize my voice because I also host a podcast called The AR Show with Jason McDowell. Mm -hmm. And there I have the, the great pleasure of having a chance to interview a number of folks across the spectrum, primarily focused on augmented reality, but occasionally some virtual reality things thrown in as well. I'm really excited to chat with entrepreneurs and investors and executives at larger companies trying to understand what's going on across the market. You know, you and I are really passionate about the space and we've been chipping away at it for a number of years now, but it's it's still really early, still very early in this market. And I really enjoy trying to understand and unfold, unravel this mystery together, kind of with the rest of the, with the, rest of the uh, community here right. about what's coming and how it's coming. So yeah. that's how I spend, you know, my public time. Um, but on the, on the side, I also, as you noted, work full-time at a company named Ostendo. We'll talk a little bit more about them later. And I'm also pretty active as, a, as an angel investor. I support WXR fund. You've had had Amy Lemaire on here as a podcast. Mm -hmm. So I'm a venture partner there as well. And then mm -hmm. also as an angel investor. So I love this space so much that I'm involved in everywhere that I can be really at this point. So it's a, it's a pleasure to be part of this community. And, and thanks again. You and I have had a chance to chat on the podcast and off the Absolutely. podcast many times, but I, on the podcast, one of my favorite episodes was the two part that we did back in the, in the Paramount studio lot. I agree. We uh, we had a really good time and, and uh, it was great to be a guest on the show. I listen to the show regularly. You always have uh, interesting people on the show across a wide spectrum. And I think my favorite, uh, I'm glad you like mine a lot. And a lot of, I, I've sent that to a lot of people over the years saying, oh, if you really want to get the deep dive, listen to this thing that Jason and I did as a two-parter for a good long time. And people really like that because it, it kind of holds up well, kind of interesting mm -hmm. how we were pre-predictive of where the market was going. But I think my favorites are when you get into it with Carl Gutem, who um, mm. is also a very, very fascinating, interesting character, extraordinarily opinionated and extraordinarily intelligent and goes deep, deep, deep into this stuff, uh, a bit uh, like a debunker, but with a positive spin on like understanding what the technology is. So uh, you, you get a lot of credit for, for holding your own with him and uh, teasing out the stuff that he really wants to talk about to the world. So um, I definitely recommend people listen to the AR, AR show in addition to this podcast. So yeah. there you go. Thank, thank you. Just a, a quick comment on, on, on working with Carl, having these conversations with Carl. Yeah. Some people uh, hear him as a naysayer, but the reality is, as you and I know him a little bit, the reality is that he's a huge proponent Absolutely. of the market, but he's 
he's really wants to make sure that it evolves in a positive way and that we don't keep going through hype cycles followed by you know hangovers and he wants to make sure that the technology choices the things that people are talking about have some merit some basis in physics and have some potential to make sense over the long run and so yeah. while he might be saying no 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 he's really championing yes 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 but in the right way in the right Absolutely. way that makes sense yeah and he takes a long just like you and i he takes a long view on this stuff he understands the trajectory and uh it, it is an important role to to challenge what people are putting out there and you know ask these these very important questions he goes much much deeper than i do from an engineering perspective um and i think my role is to tends to be a little more diplomatic like i am very positive about people's attempts to do things but also with a pretty critical eye to some of the challenges that happen and maybe even before we get into the news this is kind of a little touch point um just to see where you fall on this I think one of the, the big misconceptions, and I know Carl has talked about this a little bit too with, in your podcast and some of his other blog stuff, that um, people are sort of trying to make this presumption that there will be one device that will kind of encompass all of the use cases for mixed reality, um, when I don't see that as the case at all, uh, just in the same way that we use smartphones, laptops, tablets, large desktop computers, uh, servers, and uh, um, home entertainment computers, which now are, we refer to as televisions, right? They're basically just computer screens that we hang on the wall uh, that basically have a, a pipe to them via, via the internet. Um, I think there are going to be five or six devices over the next 10 years that will find their homes in entertainment, in enterprise, in light touch, you know, walk around with things that look like glasses and never going to walk around with things that are much more powerful that look like visors. So the fact that we're all in this perception that everybody's trying to cram it all into one device, I think is a, a misstep and a misconception that the market will not end up being that. <clears throat> there's, there's a lot. <clears throat> there's me. a lot done back there, right? Yeah. Done back there. So I, I, this notion that the smart glass or the AR glasses are going to replace, are going to replace the smartphone, are going to replace the laptop computer, there's nothing in history that suggests that. We tend to add one of the very few communication technologies that we've, we occasionally abandoned a communication modality. We abandoned telegraph, right? <laughs> we've almost abandoned the fact. Oh, we evolve it, right? We, we evolve it. it. Yeah. Uh, but we, we have not given up this notion we have a computer on our desk, as you noted. We haven't given up the fact we have a computer in our living room. We have computers now in our car. We're, we're adding more specialized computers. We have now computers in our cars that are doing a lot more different things. And we are adding computers in our refrigerators. Like we're adding computers everywhere. And so the notion that suddenly all of these others are going to go away and it's just going to be all embodied in a single head-worn device, I think, is unlikely. And the and, and so what in reality what's going to happen is that that sort of device needs to play well with all of the other bits of computing that we've got going on in our lives. Correct. And there's benefits for it playing well because one of the huge challenges that we have with something that's worn on our face is that it actually has to be wearable. It has to be right. something that you can wear for some extended period of time. And that by itself is one of the biggest, hardest challenges that the industry has not yet solved from a hardware perspective. And to this, this notion that, you know, we have a variety of them in our lives, especially early in, in the market. But I, I think even as we evolve over time, we're going to find that there's a huge benefit for having specially designed things. There's, there's a driving pair of glasses. There's an entertainment pair of glasses. There's a, you know, pro productivity at work pair of glasses, potentially. Totally. Yeah. And I think we start there and maybe we continue to evolve that over time. And yeah. part of the challenge is because it is so focused on wearability, like the, the constraint of something being worn on your face is really, really hard constraint. Mm -hmm. Very hard challenge, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I, so, I think, yeah, oh, I was, I was just going to say, so, so I, I think probably what we'll do is I'll do another podcast with you on your show and we could deep dive into that. 
but because people tune in every week to listen to the, the, the week's news in XR, we'll probably should go into that. So that, sure. uh, and then because you and I could go on for a long time with this stuff. So, um, so um, I guess uh, you and I can kind of go back and forth on some of this stuff uh, and just kind of go through the news. Um, the first thing is we always report on the, the, the festival front and what's happening you know, week over week, month to month with the different immersive festivals through, of course, the pandemic year. Things are just starting to get back into some degree of a hybrid um, in the real world and metaverse version of these festivals. So this week is Tribeca, and they had uh, a small um, installation of five or six pieces in person. This is the first year in many years I haven't gone yet because I'm now vac vaccinated and just emerging from my cocoon into certain things, but not quite ready to do a festival yet. That'll be a few months from now. Um, but they're also uh, doing some stuff in the Museum of Other Realities, which if you have a VR headset, you can sign into that and check out their stuff. Uh, so Tribeca is one of the, the major festivals uh, every year that uh, focuses on immersive entertainment. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, is Charlie there this week? Is that where he is? Uh, I don't think so. Actually, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I let him go on vacation and he needed like, Kind of go off the grid and he's off the grid so yeah maybe, I, but, I i was not sure exactly where he's either this week uh, but it would not surprise me if he was there because yeah, this, we'll, this we'll is his scene yeah the new york city uh, festival circuit i think is, is where charlie feels maybe most, of the most comfortable yeah, yeah. yeah and it's amazing you know we're kind of coming out of COVID here and it's great that there's actually some in-person activities that are now possible and being able to experience it in the room where you have not just the the, the virtual part of the experience but kind of the rest of the setup understanding and engaging with the creators and, and understanding the backstory behind the story, I think is makes the experience that much more fun. So yeah. I'm delighted that there's an in-person component to the festival this year. Yeah, uh, there's a couple other things in the news that are kind of interesting. There's a, a smaller company called Red Six that focuses on uh, military applications for uh, augmented reality, mixed reality for training. They uh, raised $30 million in funding, which is significant um, after a small seed round uh, earlier uh, and they have kind of this long pedigree of, of, as you well know, one of the first real mainstays of a mixed reality universe is in uh, combat training for, uh, for fighter pilots, right? And you were obviously come from the military, so you know. Um, and a lot of the evolution of the technology comes from these large headsets where even looking down for a moment at a control pad or something that isn't directly in your field of view uh, can be a critical uh, uh, period of time, you know, in the microseconds period of time. So interesting that they raised some some capital um, yeah. to continue their journey, and that probably dovetails to the very large uh, story that Charlie and I talked about uh, a number of weeks back. That Microsoft landed this monstrous contract with the military. I think it's twenty two billion dollars over ten years uh, to develop augmented tech. Uh, and every time I see the photographs and things that they're doing, I feel like, boy, talk about we have a long way to go because these things are almost like flight helmets that they're wearing in their soldier suits. And you're like, that's never gonna fly. Like this, this actually helps us evolve the tech because with that kind of money, they will have to figure out how to make this light and nimble and truly wearable and something that the soldiers will actually commit to outside of a training you know, environment to actually use in, in, in a combat situation or a, or a high stress situation. Yeah, that, first a comment on Microsoft, and I'll come back to Red Six here. Okay. But on, on Microsoft, $22 billion, I, you know, I think about the $3 billion that Magic Leap raised and yes. you know, what they were able to accomplish with that $3 billion. And I think, well, what if we'd spread that $3 billion across 30 other companies of innovators I, in the market? I got, what, uh, my $3 billion, I got, I got a, uh, a water bottle that I use actually have to use it right now, and a bunch of Magic Leap glasses, and I'm still very well connected with that company. So it's, I've, 
I wouldn't count them out just yet. I think they actually have a lot. Not of at all. Um, but from the notion that that's a lot of money, a lot of money in the hands of one company, and yes. we're hoping that they're able to evolve that into something that's viable. And yes. um, we, we can come back to this topic a little bit later, maybe about, about this evolution, how the kind of the market evolves, evolves my opinion on anyway. Yep. Um, but it's exciting in that there, there's efforts there. Military has been at the forefront, you know, the forefront of, of heads up displays and augmented reality for decades. And this fighter pilot helmet was really one of the first areas where waveguides were kind of first introduced and right. uh, heads up displays, this whole notion they were actually using CRT uh, as the monitors back in the day. But it's really exciting, but Red 6 goes well beyond that. It's not just the fact that you don't have to look down in order to understand situational weight uh, awareness. It's that one of the huge challenges in, in training, in military training, and especially in aircraft training, is that those things, those systems, the aircrafts, are really expensive. And so whether you are training with friendly aircraft, uh, but you don't need them now because you can simulate the fact that that aircraft is there, or you're training against enemy aircraft. Mm -hmm. You can't quite replicate them because you don't have a bunch of enemy aircraft around, but maybe you can model them. So this notion of doing simulation training while in the air in a real aircraft, I think is a really interesting, really interesting. amazing right. use case. So I'm excited right. that they have the money that they yeah. need to connect. And, and for aviation, forward. just as a category, simulation yeah. is a big, big part of their world. Like you don't put people into a, a commercial airliner where they have you know like hundreds of souls to protect without many, many, many hundreds of hours of simulation, extraordinarily advanced simulation. Um, so this is just part and parcel to that. So it's a, it's a really good category that we that we study. Um, I think maybe there's one other thing and then we can dive into maybe the big stuff, which is WWDC this week, the Apple uh, Developer Conference. Um, there's a uh, company called Pixaray that raised over 4 million in seed funding to develop what we call adaptive eyeglasses. And there's some kind of rumor mill stuff about that this is part of what Apple is also working on. So this dovetails a little bit into the idea of um, like not, not hard prescription, but actually using technology to, uh, to bend the, the glass and, and actually make something that can actually be tuned um, in interesting ways. So that's an interesting area to keep an eye on. Yeah, uh, Pixie Ray, I hadn't read about them before. So it was Charlie's article that I saw them yeah. for the first time, but they're using a technology it's been around in our TVs for a long time, liquid crystal, but they're incorporated into a see-through lens. Right. And as the light passes through, as you notice, know, light passes through that liquid crystal, and depending on how you adjust the liquid crystals inside, you can actually bend the light so that it behaves like a normal pair of, of uh, corrective eyewear. Mm -hmm. It seems that their initial focus is on normal corrective eyewear, which would be amazing, but there's a lot of tech infusion that, tech infusion that needs to happen for that, that sort of system to work. And I, as we think about the one of the challenges with any sort of head-worn AR system is is this fact that you know half of our population or whatever it is, some large percentage needs correction. And if we're replacing that with some sort of AR glasses, how are we going to do those things simultaneously? For all the enterprise rigs out there, you insert. You insert basically a pair of glasses into the overall contraption that's on your head. But ideally, you just have one pair of glasses, and that pair of glasses is able to accommodate both the AR functionality and the corrective vision functionality. So Correct. this sort of LCD technology has been around for a number of years. There's been a lot of research on this area. And it's exciting to see somebody trying to bring it to market. One of the things that they seem to be doing differently is they're also incorporating eye sensing yeah. into it to kind of uh, make sure that the lens is optimized so it's only correcting where you're actually looking in that moment, which right. has some benefits for the sort of Relates to the, the sort of foveated rendering discussion, yeah. which is probably another longer discussion we could have on a, on a different forum. But um, yeah. if the if the listeners here are interested in where optics are going, just uh, do a search for foveated rendering and foveated optics and you'll learn, you'll get into a learning track of, oh, you know, field of view and actually understanding what the, the vision system does. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, maybe last before we dive into your world, 
uh, your comments on WWDC uh, because I'm, you know, very connected into the Apple ecosystem for many, many years. I spent some time in that world, and um, they are, continue their track of being extraordinarily bullish on augmented reality and mixed reality um, from the top down. Uh, and there were some significant announcements, um, not groundbreaking announcement, but significant forward, pro, uh, forward, you know, propulsion, uh, propulsion in this area. So maybe you want to touch on a couple of those things. Yeah, Apple has been, you know, very uh, implicit about their efforts around augmented reality, certainly the head-worn augmented reality. Explicitly, we've seen ARKit, and it's been slowly evolving over the years, but they've been laying the groundwork. We can, we can at least stitch together a story we can tell where it seems like they're laying the groundwork for some head-worn systems that are coming out. And this latest WWDC uh, had a couple of elements in there that were not necessarily explicitly about AR, but definitely were very tied to AR, uh, certainly even head-worn AR. Uh, but one that's been more explicit, right? People have been using mobile AR a lot for shopping. How, how do I try on or try in this particular object before I commit to it, whether it's lipstick on my face or eyeglasses on my face or piece of furniture in my living room and using the video pass-through sort of AR system that mobile phone allows us, that can be amazing. But one of the huge challenges that the industry faces is how, how the heck do we create all of this high fidelity 3D content? The object exists in 3D, but to digitize in some sort of lifelike way with the right sort of lighting that, that object so it can be used in this sort of AR is a challenge. And photogrammetry is a technology you basically stitch together a series of pictures, has been around for a long time, but Apple demonstrated that it can be done really well Yes. using the smartphone as part of that solution. So that, that was really interesting. It's one of those things that's you know, one, one of many pieces of puzzle, one of pieces of the puzzle, but mm -hmm. that was really interesting. Um, one of the things that I thought was really phenomenal was the computer, computer vision work that they're doing. You know, again, they're not the only company doing that. There's nothing that Apple does that others don't do, and sometimes others do better, but Apple manages to put things together in a really really slick way. Yeah, compelling way from a user perspective, absolutely. Absolutely. And so they, you know, there's a lot more image recognition. We think about the evolution of augmented reality and so much about the potential for the glasses is that it is contextually aware of what's going on, that you don't have to explicitly tell it all the time exactly what you want to do. It's actually paying attention to the world and interpreting what's going on and using that to improve your experience. That's, that's the vision. Plus, it needs to understand the world well enough to overlay digital content to the extent that that's the experience, right? If an entertainment experience, for example, needs to be tied to the real world, then it needs to understand the real world at some level also, but at least in different ways. Uh, but here we're talking about object recognition. We're talking about extracting information, you know, recognizing it's, uh, what, what it is and what's being said, the text that's there. And these are all, I think, really excellent, again, pieces being laid by Apple that kind of stitch together this potential that they can create something that's, that's super compelling once it's on the head. Yeah. There were there were announcements about um, how they're using the the latest iPhone cameras to essentially do advanced photogrammetry things you would only be able to do with a DSLR with like thousands of pictures just one generation ago. Now you can use your phone to basically capture an image and make a 3D model of it at, at a at a fairly low cost and, and low uh, impact zone, which is really interesting. And then their overall reality kit stuff that they talk about about how they're evolving that. Um, it goes pretty deep. Uh, if you're really interested in this, they, they do recaps of the sessions. It's all public out to the world. It used to be more of a private event now in the, in the world of everything being connected in this uh, uh, sort of video landscape world. They put a lot of this stuff out publicly. So there's tons of sessions about this stuff. Um, and just like as a good starting point for, for our, the listeners, um, just go on the Apple website and look at their, their things that they talk about augmented reality. And you can see how much effort they're putting in 
from a messaging and, and learning standpoint, using the iPads and demonstrating kind of a future that we believe is going to move from a holdable device to the, the wearable device, just in the way that they have evolved the audio. You know, the ears have become a very big business for Apple now uh, with their AirPods and, and they continue to evolve that with spatial audio and better ergonomics. And um, we see a very clear track to the idea that if they've gotten a very refined understanding of where the audio system works, they're also getting a very refined understanding of where the visual system works. And they're setting the groundwork with all these devices that you hold to then eventually not have to hold them anymore. So there's lots of resources out there that, that you can look at, but I would start just on the Apple website itself and then go look at uh, Mac rumors and some of the other uh, you know sites that talk a little deeper about it and, and gadgets and gizmodos of the world. Um, yeah. So um, that was what I wanted to cover. Oh, there was one other um, one other thing. Uh, you know, we're always keeping an eye on um, companies that are doing these mixed reality wearables that sort of pop out of nowhere and live in the Kickstarter uh, ecosystem. So before we get to you as a guest, uh, there's a company called Photon Lens that was a Kickstarter. Uh, looks very similar to some of the other eyewear that all that kind of goes all the way back to the pedigree of ODG um, with that uh, what's called birdbath sort of optics design, which you've talked about on your AR show quite a bit, and people can listen and learn more about that. But they've got a new uh, product, uh, this company called Photon, that um, has a, a product launch in June 15th. And you can go on that website, photon, photonlens.com. Uh, and they have like almost kind of a Nintendo Game Boy style controller. And they're focusing on health, wellness, and, and um, um, health activity stuff for mixed reality. So just wanted to keep an eye on, a little bit under the radar. But uh, I'll go to their launch event like I do with all these things and we'll learn more. Yeah, I, I love it. You know, this photon lens, as you noted, is kind of on the pedigree of the ODG. I think my interview with Carl Gutag was titled Attack of the Clones, which is this notion <laughs> that this system, this, this notion of uh, pasting an OLED lens on top of a birdbath optic, which is kind of a thick curved mirror sort of optic, mm -hmm. is, is the accessible way to deliver a pair of, of head-worn glasses. And this photon lens, I actually had a conversation, an interview that's coming out next week with a company called New Eyes, N-U-E-Y-E-S, mm -hmm. CEO's name, Mark Greggett. And they have another product that is directionally similar to this one as well. And the, these, this device, like some of the others, all are dependent upon some other piece of kit that you've got in your body, you're holding in your hands. Right. And what's cool about photon lens is they seem to have some sort of, very, very much about fitness and entertainment. They have a game console, basically, like a little Game Boy thing that you have in your hands that you're using to help drive ultimately the experience. Yeah, and from my understanding, it connects still wired to that device. So it's That's right. basically these birdbath optics devices are designed to essentially be a heads-up display that, mm -hmm. that can remain being fairly light and nimble and sort of eyeglass looking, not like you're really going to wear them on the street because all the compute power is essentially remote via a USB-C cable tethered. Eventually, we'll get to wireless and you know uh, near-field communication, high-speed, uh, which I know a couple companies are working on. But it's an interesting thing that would, would you say there's probably at least eight, maybe 10 companies dancing this dance, um, which actually is interesting from a forward momentum standpoint, right? That there's that much funding, that much commitment to the idea of some sort of wearable that's kind of this interim step to what people really, really want, which is something that doesn't have any tether, doesn't have any wire, and has a certain kind of lifestyle use case and entertainment use case and productivity use case. The fact that it's not just one or two companies that believe this, that there are many companies around the world that believe this is an important step in the visual compute system, 
as well as all the tech giants all kind of going to war, committing that people will be doing something beyond a traditional two-dimensional you know, rectangular screen in the future. Um, I think that's really good fodder for people to keep listening to your podcast, keep listening to this podcast, because this is where a big part of the world is, is tracking and heading. But to your point, my point a lot, over a very long period of time, probably still... Yeah you know, at least five years till we see real, real traction and probably five to 10 years until we see kind of the adoption curve that a lot of the investment groups predict are going to happen every 18 months ago, right? Like yeah. it's no, it's, it's a long, it's a long way to, to reach those, uh, those dynamics. Um, so uh, maybe a last comment and then we'll go into you as the guest. Sure. Uh, well, we can just we can just uh, have this one flow into, into the next we'll part. Right into it, exactly. So this this notion, it's definitely going to be a, a long road, but companies like Photon Lens and others are benefiting from something uh, that I think is enabling smaller companies to produce something, like a, a pair of glasses that you wear in your head that you, it's wired to some other device. And it's that there's this set of components, the display and the optics together, that are accessible enough, like there's a number, a number of companies who, are, who put together a design that does this, that now you can go to an ODM, a manufacturing partner in Asia, and you can say, hey, I, wa I want that component into a pair of glasses, and then you know I'm gonna attach it to my own software, my own algorithms, my own uh, connected device, and ship a product. And kind of like the smartphone evolution where there's all these components that are out there that allows the reassembly of the same basic bits into other devices, whether you know that look like smartphones inside but are nothing like smartphones on the outside i think that we're kind of getting there from a supply chain perspective that's what this evolution of all these clone like devices is indicating but what i like about photon lens and new eyes and and, and real and some of the others is that they're they're attacking the market using these kind of very narrow slices back to something we said at the top of this this conversation was this notion that there's some specialization this notion that these Photon lens or new eyes or whatever, they, they kind of pick a slice. It's fitness, it's entertainment, it's you know, some other aspect of health, it's social expression. Like we saw the announcement from Snap about yeah. their Charlie next and I talked about device. In the past. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's a, it's another example where they're because we have such constraints for this sort of device, picking something very narrow allows you, gives you the chance of creating at least a decent experience around it. Right. And if you can create something decent, if you get that toehold, then you have a chance to kind of build on it and evolve that product over time. Exactly. And, and this whole set of products and these whole set of companies are taking a very different approach in many ways than what, that, what Microsoft is taking or what Magic Leap is taking. Because there they have an all-in-one solution, meaning you don't have some, you're not dependent upon some other bit of compute like a smartphone or some other device that's wired to it. Everything's in, in the device itself. And there's a lot of imagined benefit from having all of what you need in that device that's on your head. But the, the downside is that it now looks like a contraption. Now it looks like a welding mask or a helmet. Yeah, there's, there, there are massive ergonomic challenges, which will get better over time as we evolve it, just like computers used to look very different than they look today. And, you know, the idea of carrying something uh, like a tablet was fantasy, you know, all that, you know, X amount of years ago, and now it is completely reality. So where you're talking about is kind of why I want to give these things always a long lead time, yeah. many, many years to evolve it. Um, so I think this is great. I mean, obviously a really interesting discussion. We'll, we'll have you on again over, you know, the, the periods of time when either I take off or Charlie takes off again, and, and maybe we'll include you in a re on a regular basis because your voice is so valuable in this, in this, um, case. Uh, for the last few minutes, let's sort of migrate over to you no longer as a co-host, 
but as a guest to talk about your day-to-day -day work with a very interesting technology company that I'm also uh, quite enamored with and somewhat involved in. Um, and let's just spend five or so minutes talking about um, your belief structure about where, where that company, Ostendo, fits into this ecosystem and what you do there. Yeah. So the we've all been observing the slow evolution of this space and what we are proving really well right now in the enterprise for example is that there is tremendous potential value for having this sort of system some sort of head-worn system that allows you to be hands you know eyes up hands on the problem you're working and delivers you know guided instructions or you know collaboration with somebody who's not with you remote collaboration and data visualization, like there, there's a number of use cases that we've proven in the enterprise that there's real potential there. And there's anticipation that we can apply some version of those concepts to the consumer world. And we mm -hmm. kind of talked about this notion that it will end up with a handful of specialized devices. But the belief that I have, that Ostendo I think more generally has, is that the evolution of this market is dependent upon getting something, a set of ingredients that is small enough and efficient enough to enable wearability, a true wearability. Right. And the evolution of previous cycles has been one that where people have tried to develop something for the enterprise market and they come at it from some other enterprise beast and they try to make some sort of specialized enterprise tool. But as we kind of look back and we think, okay, what works today in enterprise? Just to focus on enterprise for another moment here. What works today in enterprise? And it is consistently the consumer grade device that has been upgraded to be enterprise class right. and not some evolution of an enterprise device. But whether it's PC era, smartphone era, et cetera, it's usually the thing that wins in the enterprise is the consumer grade architecture. Yeah, it's the idea that, that things move upstream from the consumer, not downstream from That's the right. enterprise. Right. And so if we think about this upstream versus downstream evolution, you know, the, the HoloLens would need to rethink the way that they're approaching the problem in order to, to have that sort of perspective and deliver in that direction. They're coming at it from the other way. But from that perspective, the sort of bottom-up sort of perspective, wearability is critical. That, that is, the, is the hard constraint. So it's in, in order to achieve wearability, given the set of technology that exists over the next five, 10 years, it is not then a standalone device. It is a device that is dependent upon other bits of computing around you. A tandem device. Tandem device. Yeah, yeah. And ideally, it's wirelessly connected. Right? Ideally, you can create something that's so efficient on the face that you could wirelessly connect. That's the direction that SNAP is exploring. Mm -hmm. And I'm super excited about that direction. But it also implies that there has to be a lot of compatibility with that smartphone. It has to, you know, you have to acknowledge that the device is a, is a complementary tool amongst the other kit that you've got going on. And beyond that, you know, it has to be affordable. The set of ingredients that are going into the thing has to be manufactured at scale and a very reasonable price point. And those things, this kind of notion of wearability, compatibility, and affordability is, is kind of the the focus that I and my company at Asundo have on, on how to deliver on the promise. And we fundamentally are a, an ingredients company, a components company at our core. We've innovated in the display of the, of the light, the, how to create the, the pixels that we're actually seeing. And so we have an inorganic LED-based, micro-LED-based display solution, which is amazing in lots of ways. We don't have time to kind of go and go into all the things, but one of the things that it does better than others is because it's inorganic LED-based, it's really efficient really efficient how it generates light. It's also volumetrically extremely efficient. It's 
more than an order of magnitude smaller in terms of volume than the next best solution out there, even the next best micro LED based solution. We're yeah, talking and about I think full you're, color. you're you're talking as a as an expert, but I think let me let me yeah, open think, this up for people. Dial it back from, yeah. When you talk about why this device is so important, it's it's a little chipset, the visual chipset that goes into all of these glasses in some way, shape, or form. But the Ostendo device is an order of magnitude smaller than anything else that comes close to doing what it does and an order of magnitude more efficient. So you're talking about something that is a quarter or a sixth of the size of the next best solution for this little chip that you know looks like a little piece of silicon that actually creates the visual image. A little micro television is a bit, good way to describe it from yeah. a layman standpoint. Yeah, yeah, thank um, you for that. And that's what's really critical about the, what they're doing, what they're bringing to the market is something that we might someday actually be able to wear comfortably that actually looks and feels like uh, eyeglasses as opposed to a visor, as it were. Yeah, that's right. And so right now the company the, that we call the display of the chipset, the QPI, Quantum Photonic Imager, are also right now really focused on the, the next piece in the puzzle, which is the lens that you look through at the real world, which of mm -hmm. course has the double duty of allowing you to see the real world in an undistorted way, but also getting that virtual image into your eye. And, and so we're working on our own solution to that. So we're looking forward to presenting that to the world, uh, this combination of both our chipset, the micro display, as well as the, the combiner optic solution. It's great. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously we could go very deep into that, um, but for the, for the sake of this podcast and the time that people like to listen to it, we'll probably wrap up here. Um, so let people know where they can learn more, the website, uh, some touch points about the product sort of direction, another sort of minute or so, and then we'll, we'll say goodbye for the week and uh, we'll see everybody again next week. Sounds great. Yeah, you can find more about Ostendo at www.ostendo.com. That's O-S-T-E-N-D-O.com. And we have some stuff up there now that kind of describes our, our vision for the sort of product that's going to be possible in the very near term using our technology. So go, go and check that out. And for, for me personally, you can find me on the social channels. Uh, my last name is M-C-D-O-W-A-L-L. -L. That's my Twitter handle. And you can find me on LinkedIn using that search. And of course, the podcast, you can find that in all your favorite podcasting sources. And it is the website's www.arshow.com. Arshow.com. Regular listener. I'm a regular listener. I recommend people hop onto it, especially if you're listening to this show. That's a good dovetail show. We'll cross promote and share each other's links and stuff. Um, and um, uh, this was a great sort of episode, a little modified episode of the AR show, uh, or This Week in XR and the AR show kind of combined together. Um, so I uh, look forward to seeing you all next week and talking to you all next week and uh, more fun to come. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, everybody.